So maybe your, your story is, is something like that. You've experienced pain or, uh, or injustice. Um, I was thinking about the, um, the Choose Your Own Adventure books. If you're in your 30s, you maybe remember those like I do, uh, where you would go and uh, one of that I remember is The Abominable Snowman. And so you'd go and you read like four or five pages and then you get to like, you get to be the one in control. You get to be the one to choose what the next adventure is going to look like. And so it's like, if you want to trust this guy and follow him, go to page six. If you don't want to trust this guy, you can go to page seven. I always ended up doing each different route just to see what would end up happening. And then at the end deciding, well, I would have chosen all of these steps. So, but you get to choose your own adventure. And it's, it's, I, I think a lot of times when it comes to life, we think that's what the way life should be. I want to be the one to choose. I want to be the one to to dictate what my next step is going to be. I want to be the one that makes all of the decisions and has all of the control. And as, as kids, we, we grow up dreaming about what life is going to be like. You know, you're going to uh, grow up and get a job and, and live in a big house and drive brand new cars and have a really hot husband or wife and have a couple of kids and the, the white picket fence, kind of the American dream. That's what my life is going to be like. Nobody dreams about what life is going to be like to experience loss. Nobody dreams about what it's going to be like when your husband or wife comes home and says that they don't want to be married to you anymore. Nobody dreams about what it's going to be like to sit in a doctor's office when the doctor tells you that you have cancer and you're going to be spending the next year of your life going through chemotherapy and radiation. None of us would choose that path. None of us would, would choose that, that, that type of adventure. And we all understand and we've all come to a point in life where we realize that that, that catastrophe pain and suffering is, is going to be a part of our lives. What I want you to understand this morning is that God is writing your story. There are gonna be things that he allows that you don't like, things that he allows that we don't understand, but we can always trust that he's using it to bring about good. And it's important to understand that God's the one that's writing the story because a lot of times we think we're the one that, that's writing the story. But God is the one that's writing your story. God is the one that's sovereign and God is the one that's in control. And when we open up into chapter 3 of the story, which is actually in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 37, we're introduced to a man named Joseph. And Joseph experienced a lot of pain and suffering in, in his life. So uh, before we get into that, who read chapter 3 this week? All right, let's have some fun. Put your hands down. Who did not read chapter 3 this week? Get out. <laughs> we, we need the seats anyway, so you're out of here, all of you. Um, if you don't have the book, that's your only excuse, right? Um, you either don't have the book or can't read. Those are the only two viable uh, options. But if you don't have the book, I want to encourage you to get the book out, uh, outside. It only costs you $5. If you don't have $5, let us know. We'll give you the book. Um, but we want you to deepen your relationship with a God that loved you enough to write this, this story to you, for you, and about you. And so we want you to get a copy of the book. We want you to follow along in, in it. It's going to deepen your relationship with him, I promise you, if you'll engage in the process with us. Uh, when you get home, there's uh, recaps on our website, thegeneration.me, the story tab. You can see the recap for today's talk. And then this week, there'll be a devotional that'll be up there to help you prepare for, uh, for what we're going to talk about next week. So um, who's going to read chapter four this next week? There's going to be a serve. We're going to start putting up a sign at the door and a lie detector. So only people who read chapter four are coming in next week. So, uh, but Genesis chapter 37, we're introduced to a man named Joseph. It says, Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brother, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father uh, a bad report about them. Now Israel, so, so Israel is Abraham's grandson. So it was Isra uh, Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had 
Jacob and Esau. Jacob is Israel. Jacob's name was changed by God to Israel. So if you read chapter three this week, you probably saw references to Jacob and Israel. Maybe you thought they were two different people or that God was confused, but it's the same person. He just gets referred to uh, in, in both uh, as Israel and Jacob in different parts of the story the rest of the way. It says, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born in his old age and he made an, he, and he made an ornate robe for him. That's Joseph in the coat of many colors. If you heard that story, that's what it's talking about. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Um, I, grew up my, I grew up in a home. My sister was just a good person, and I was not a very good person. And so I was the student that when the teacher found out that, oh, you're Danielle's little brother, they got excited. And then by the end of the year with me, they were like, please tell me your parents don't have any others. Um, and so my, my sister was always, I always felt like she had more favor. She was uh, definitely more popular. She, she, uh, she loved Jesus. I, don't, I wanted to love Jesus. I don't know that I ever really did. And so it was always kind of like, why can't you be more like your sister? And so there were times where I always, I felt like, even my parents, I felt like they loved her more than they loved me because I was always getting in trouble. It had nothing to do with the fact that I was always doing dumb stuff, but I was always the one getting in trouble. And so I felt like they loved me, loved her more than they loved me. And so I would tell them that. And of course, they would give you the, the, the standard parent answer. No, we love all of our kids equally. Uh, we love you all the same. And I'm like, whatever. Um, but what I love about this story is, is Jacob's like, um, you, I hear rumblings that you think I love Joseph more than I love the rest of you. Well, I got a coat of many colors to dispel any myths that there may be. I do love him more than I love the rest of you. <laughs> so, so here, Joseph, take this coat and put it on in front of your brothers. And certainly that's not going to cause any division in the family. Your brothers are going to be thrilled with the fact that you're the favored one. And, and, and I don't want to have any more conversations. I don't want you to feel compelled to talk about me behind my back. I own it. I love him more than I love the rest of you. And so he makes him this robe, and, and his brothers begin to hate him. So he's a bit of a tattletale uh, telling a bad report to his father about them. Uh, and then now the, the, the favor of his father is clear and obvious. And things aren't off to, to a great start for Joseph. And if it's, that's not bad enough, he has a couple of dreams. And um, uh, I'm sure every one of you in here has things that annoy you, like, like uh, pet peeves, you know, like uh, uh, wet, uh, a peanut butter knife in the sink that hasn't been cleaned off. Like, that's kind of gross. That's, that's annoying. Uh, for me, I don't like brand new towels. Like, I like the threads to be worn in, worn out a little bit. And so I have things that annoy me. One thing that really annoys me is when people tell me their dreams, right? I, I don't, like, my kids will be like, I had a bad dream last night. I don't care. I don't want to hear about your stupid <laughs> dream. Here's, here's what you need to know about dreams. The reason they happen in our subconscious minds while we're sleeping that's where they're meant to stay, right? They don't, nobody else needs to hear about your crazy dreams. And so Joseph does not follow my advice. Joseph says, I'm going to tell my brothers about these dreams, and they're weird. No one ever has a normal dream about something that could actually happen in real life. It's like I was eating a bowl of cereal, and then the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were at the table. Like, nobody has a normal dream. They're always stupid and weird, so just don't ever tell people your dreams. So Joseph does not follow my, my advice, and he decides to tell his brother the dream. And the first dream is... They're in the field harvesting wheat. Like all dreams, it starts out normal. And then he's like, and then my stock of wheat stood up in the middle and all of your stocks of wheat bowed down to mine. So like completely nutso dream. But he tells his brothers, what he's telling them is, one day all of you are gonna bow down to me. So he's a tattletale. His dad loves him more than, than he loves the rest of them and they all know it. And now he's telling them, guess what guys? 
you're also all one day going to bow down to me. And then he tells them another dream. In the second dream, it's about the sun and the moon representing his parents and 11 stars, one for each of you loser brothers. All of those bow down to me too. And by this point, his dad steps in and he's like, dude, you got to stop telling them about your dreams. Like this is not going to end well for you. And the Bible says that they hated him. They despised him. And so one day, Joseph is sent by his father, Jacob, to go and, sp and check on them. They're, they're uh, on a shepherding journey. And they see him coming, off in the, coming from off in the distance. And it says they devised a plan to take care of him. It says in Genesis 37, 18, when they saw him in the distance and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Seems fitting enough. Um, let's just kill him. So here comes the dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. And his brother Reuben talks them out of it and says, no, 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 let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in this well, and then we'll figure out a plan. Reuben's intent was to, to rescue him, but before that happened, a group of merchants were traveling through, heading down to Egypt, and his brothers see the merchants, and they say, you know what? Let's sell him as a slave. Because you see, slavery wasn't a death sentence, but it might as well have been because it was a life sentence. If you were sold as a slave, you had no hopes of one day becoming free again. There was no, there, there was no you're going to be a slave for 7, 10, 15 years. It was for the rest of your life, this is what your existence will be. And so they said, here's the deal. We sell him as a slave, then go back and tell our father that he was killed by a, a wild animal. We, we feel like we're off the hook a little bit because we didn't actually kill him. And he'll live as a slave and we'll never have to see him again. We'll never have to be around him again. That whole bit about him dreaming about us bowing down to him, never going to happen. And so they sell him, they sell him to, these, uh, to these merchants. And I'm sure if you asked Joseph what his next adventure was going to look like, it probably did not look like this. It probably did not look like the life of a slave for, for, for all he knew for the rest of his life. I think when he dreamed about what his life was like, living the life of a slave wasn't even on the radar screen. And I think for, for most of us in here, when we experience difficult seasons in our life, it's never, by, it's, it's never because I decide, hey, I think I want to experience that. Hey, you know what would be great? I, I, I think I want to know what it feels like to go through a divorce. Right? No, nobody chooses that path. I think I'd like to know what it would be like to, to, to have cancer or to declare bankruptcy. I think I want to know what that feels like. Nobody would, nobody would willingly, knowingly choose that path, but for so many of us, we find ourselves there. And Joseph is in the midst of a season of adversity, of suffering. And he goes down to Egypt as a slave. And it says in Genesis 39, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Now, Ishmael, we talked about him briefly last week. That was Abraham's son when he decided he was going to help God. He was going to fix the problem for God. And God said, Ishmael is not the son that I promised you. So Abraham's great-grandsons through Ishmael are selling Abraham's great-grandson as a slave into, uh, into the hands of an Egyptian soldier, the captain of the guard. And verse 2 says, but the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. I want you to notice that. It said the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. When we experience pain, and, and, and let me say this, sometimes the pain that, we're, that we experience, sometimes the difficulty that we experience is stuff God is allowing 
because he's trying to teach us and accomplish something in us. And sometimes the pain that we experience is because we just make bad choices, right? Sometimes it's, it's consequences. If you, if you decide you're going to show up for work late every day and you get fired, don't be like, God, where are you? why are you letting this happen to me? God's like, just set your alarm and get to work on time and you won't have that problem. So sometimes it's choices that we make, finances. You know, we, we go through, through financial crisis because we made poor choices. God's like, I'm not the one who signed up for 18 credit cards. That was you. This is the, the result of, of your choices. So whether you're, whether you're experiencing pain because of consequences, because of choices, or because God is allowing it because he's desiring to deepen your relationship with him, regardless of that, it said that Joseph, no matter what the reason was, he prospered because the Lord was with him. We think when we go through pain that God's nowhere to be found. Our, our, our immediate reaction to suffering is, God, where are you? And God says, like in the, the story of Joseph, I'm with you no more today than I was yesterday. I haven't gone anywhere. I haven't left. I haven't abandoned you. I'm still with you. You're going through a difficult season, yes, but I am absolutely right there with you. I'm absolutely still in control of everything that, that is coming into your life. God's hand was on him even in the midst of suffering. Psalm 23, 4 says, even if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we won't be afraid because he is with us. No matter what you're going through this morning, God is with you. The story goes on as Joseph's in this house, Genesis 39, verse 6. It says, now Joseph was well-built well and handsome. I'm not really sure why it says he was well-built and handsome. Some of you are probably wondering what he looked like. Look up here. Um, <laughs> you're looking at him. I might not have the well-built part down, but I think, at least when I look in the mirror, I'm like, that's kind of handsome. Um, but it says Joseph was, I just laugh every time I read it, Joseph was well-built and handsome. I'm like, good to know. Um, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph, which who wouldn't, he's well-built and handsome, and said, come to bed with me. Now, now listen, when we experience inju un injustice, when we go through pain, and when we're in difficult seasons of life, we oftentimes will use that as an excuse to make poor choices. Right? I, I, I deserve this. After what I've been through, Joseph could have said, after all that I've been through, man, I didn't do anything to deserve being sold as a slave. And even as a slave, I continue to be faithful working in the house of this Egyptian, but I, I desire to be with my father and with my family. Joseph, Joseph could have thought all that and said, you know what, it's time for me to do what's best for me, to do, to do what I want to do, to make me happy. Because for these last several years, nothing about this process has made me happy. So I'm going to justify, make an excuse because of what I'm going through. But he doesn't do that. It says he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master held with nothing, has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing? And notice what he says the sin would be, and sin against God. He didn't say sin against you, sin against my master. He said this would be a sin against God. My master may never find out. Nobody else may ever know, but God will know, and I will not sin against God. He didn't use what he was experiencing as an opportunity to make a bad choice. And then you would think this is the moment, right? Like if I'm Joseph, I'm like, all right, I was faithful. I was sold as a slave. 
God, I stepped up in a big way right here. You know, I had a great opportunity. Remember, I'm well-built and handsome. Like, I could have had this woman, but I said no. Surely this is the moment God's going to come in and say, now I'm going to exalt you. Now I'm going to lift you up. Those dreams that your brothers bowing down to you here, it, it's going to happen now. But that doesn't happen. It says one day he was in the house alone with Potiphar's wife, and this time she grabbed him again. And it says he ran out of the house so quickly that he left his coat behind. And she took the coat and went to her husband and told him that Joseph had tried to force himself on her. And so Potiphar in anger took Joseph and threw him into jail. You think the life of a slave is a life sentence? The life of a prisoner for trying to, to rape the captive of the guard's wife is even worse. You're never getting out of jail. And prison is a much worse life than the life of a slave living in the house of a master. So it goes from bad to worse for Joseph. And here he is, man, he hasn't done anything wrong. He's, li he's, living, he's living a life for God. He's doing the right thing even when it would be easy to choose the wrong thing. And it's almost as if, like, God, what's the reward for doing right? Okay, here comes more hardship. And he says, Joseph, I'm, I'm going to send you even further down than you were before. And I don't know about you, but if I were Joseph, I'd have been thinking, man, I should have just slept with that guy's wife. At least I wouldn't be in jail. I should have made the poor choice because the outcome would have been better. But he continues to do right. In Genesis 39, verse uh, 23, it says, The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Again, the Lord is with Joseph. Now, so now you've got Potiphar, a master. It's unusual to, to entrust a slave the way Potiphar did. Now you go to jail, right? Like if you were to go to, to any jail around here, be like, ask the warden, hey, who in here do you trust? He's probably going to say they're in here because we don't trust them, right? And so this warden is like, I trust Joseph. Every single thing in the prison is under his care. I'm putting all the prisoners. I don't concern myself with anything under his care because I trust him because God has prospered him and given him success. And then chapter 40 opens up and some time has gone by and, and the cupbearer and the baker uh, offend. Every time I read that, I think the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker. So you got the cupbearer and the baker, but no candlestick maker. Get thrown in prison by Pharaoh. They've offended Pharaoh and they're under the care of Joseph. And so one day these guys have dreams, all these dreams, right? And they tell Joseph about their dreams. So the cupbearer goes first and Joseph says, well, here's the deal. In three days time, Pharaoh is going gonna, is gonna to place you back in the position as cupbearer. He's going to exalt you once again. Three days from now, you'll be doing exactly what you were and you'll be reestablished in your position of authority. Cupbearer is like, awesome. And then the baker's like, sweet, nothing but good news for dreams. Let me tell you about my dream. Joseph says, three days will pass for you too, um, but your head's going to get cut off and you're going to get impaled on a pole. And so again, don't be telling people your dreams. So three days later, sure enough, that happens. So the cupbearer is, as he's leaving, Joseph says, remember me. Like, hey, I did you a favor. It's time for you to pay me back. All I'm asking you to do is tell Pharaoh what I did, and then maybe he'll release me from prison. And when chapter 41 opens up, Two years had gone by, and the cupbearer had said nothing to Pharaoh. And then Pharaoh had two dreams. 
and they troubled him. And so he calls for the magicians and the wise men to interpret the dreams, and they can't. So they're sitting as a, as a council, and he's frustrated and angry and disturbed by these dreams. And then all of a sudden, the cupbearer is kind of like, oh, yeah, there's this guy named Joseph. He told me about this dream, and he can, maybe he can interpret yours as well. And so they bring Joseph to speak to Pharaoh. And I think it's important to recognize that timing is everything. God's timing is everything. He knows what he's doing, and he knows when he's going to do it and when it should happen. It often, we talked about this a little bit last week. It oftentimes doesn't fit with what my timeline is, but I'm not the one with the timeline that matters. God knew what the timing was to exalt Joseph. Because two years before, if the cupbearer had said, hey, this guy in prison interpreted this dream for me, Pharaoh had no need for him two years before. He probably would have been like, so what? Keep talking, and I'm going to pale you on a pole next to the baker, right? There, there's no reason for him to know about that. But then now, now, now the time is right. He needs Joseph now, and so the cupbearer tells him, and Joseph is brought before Pharaoh and, and, and uh, tells him about his dream. And Joseph said, this is what's going to happen. There's going to be seven years of abundance like we've never seen before. And on the heels of those seven years of abundance, there's going to be seven years of famine that will be so bad, we won't even be able to remember how great the seven years of abundance were. And he said, what you need to do is you need to identify someone to lead this effort, to stockpile, and to store up wheat and grain so that we can survive the seven years of famine. And I think it's cool when, when, you, when you read the, the, the story, you see a maturity in Joseph, it, it says in Genesis 41, 39, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people and, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. But you see a maturity in Joseph. The 17-year-old version of Joseph was having dreams and telling people that one day you're all gonna bow down before me. And 13 years later, this same guy who has matured, who has grown, says, you need a wise and discerning man. You got to find him because it's probably not me. The 17-year-old Joseph would have been like, let me tell you about these dreams. Everyone's going to bow down to me anyway, so why don't you let me be the one to lead it? And instead he says, you go find someone. And Pharaoh says, I have found someone, and that someone is you. And the story doesn't end there. They begin to acquire and to stockpile, filling silos with grain to get them through the famine. And word begins to spread throughout Egypt and throughout the rest of the known world that Egypt had been prepared for this famine. And people from all uh, over the world, different nations and different families begin to descend on Egypt looking for grain. And then one day a group of brothers showed up. Genesis 42 verse 6 says, Now Joseph was the governor of the land. The person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, notice what it says they did. They bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. They had no idea it was Joseph, but in an instant, that dream that he had told them about 13 years earlier came true. They bowed with their faces to the ground in his presence. And for several months, this back and forth goes on as 
Joseph is basically toying with them. In Genesis uh, verse, chapter 45, verse 4, he can't contain himself any longer, and he has to reveal his identity. And it says, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Joseph sees the purpose in his pain. He sees what God was, was, was trying to accomplish and couldn't accomplish had he not gone through what he went through. For two years now there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years there will be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you, he's talking to his brother, specifically for you, a remnant on earth, and to save your lives by great deliverance. In a moment, the big picture is revealed. I see it now. I understand it now. I don't know why you allowed what you allowed for the last 13 years, but if it were not for that journey... I would not be standing here today in front of these people. I wouldn't be standing in front of my brothers. I wouldn't be able to provide them what they needed in order for God to preserve a remnant. And you know what he's talking about? He's talking about the covenant that God established with Abraham when he said, I'll make you a great nation. Joseph said, if I were not here, this famine would kill you and wipe out your entire family, which would make the promise that God made to Abraham never have come true. And so we talked about hope last, a couple of weeks ago with Noah. God always gives hope. This is, this is that hope that you can see where, where things are darkest. But there's always hope, no matter, no matter what you're experiencing, that God has a plan and God is going to be faithful to do what he's promised that he would do. And when we're in the valley, when we're in the midst of a difficult season, it's hard for us to have the perspective of the big picture and we've got to trust in the one that does have the perspective, that does see it all, that knows exactly what is happening, and that he's somehow, some way going to use it for good. We may not understand it, but we trust him that he will use it for good. Several years go by, Jacob, their father, dies, and the brothers begin to get scared again that, okay, now he's going to kill us, right? Like, he didn't want to put our dad through any more heartache, but now that he's dead, they're probably thinking it from the perspective of, if I were Joseph... I would kill you all. And so they're like, we should be afraid. Joseph says this to them in Genesis 50, verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. See, Joseph understood that whatever I'm going through, God can somehow, some way, use it to bring about good. And I said at the beginning that God is writing our story. And that's difficult for some of us to accept because we want the control, but God is writing our story. There are going to be things that, that um, we don't want and things that we don't understand, but we can always trust that he is doing what he's doing somehow to accomplish, to accomplish good. And so when you're going through a, a difficult season, and, and I know with certainty there are numerous people in here that you're going through a tough time. It may be financial, it may be uh, marital, maybe health-wise. Something's going on in, in, in your life, and, and you're, you're struggling right now. And, 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 and maybe, maybe some of you have identified that, you know what, it's, it's, it's consequence. I made poor choices, and I'm reaping the consequences of those, those choices. And then some of you, you may, you may not know. You may not know why God's allowing it. You feel like Joseph, it just feels like injustice right now. Regardless of why, 
want to give you some stuff that you, that you can and should do. All of us can and should do. Number one is remember what God's done. David said numerous times in the Psalms, I will remember, I will remember what the Lord has done. Well, as he's running for his life, fearing for his safety. A lot of times when we're going through difficult times, it's, it's, it's difficult to focus on all that God's done because we're obsessed with what's happening right now. I had a, <clears throat> a professor, he had a big poster board and a uh, white sheet of poster board and holds it up and, you know, what do you see? And I'm like, it's a gigantic sheet of white poster board. Were we supposed to see something else? And then he takes it down and draws a huge dot in the middle of it, black dot in the middle of it, and holds it back up. And he said, what do you see now? And, you know, of course, everybody says, we see a black dot. And he says, yeah, but what about the, the rest of the white poster board? Right? Like, like we lose, we, when we're going through difficult seasons, we lose the perspective. We lose the ability to see what God has done. And so I want to encourage you to go home today, and I want you to write down the blessings that God has given you. What has he done? Because it, it's, it's easy to focus on what we think he's not doing right now, but take some time to meditate on and list out and thank him for what he has done. Because what he has done is something that we can cling to, that we can be grateful for. So we, uh, we remember what he's done. We pursue him even when everything in us wants to run or resist him. When I experience pain, I, I'll be honest with you, when I experience pain, I, I get mad at God. Um, I know that sounds so spiritual, but I do. I'm, and when I get mad, I don't want to talk to him. I, I don't know why you've, even if, I, even if I did something stupid and its consequences, I still get mad at him. I'm like, I don't really want to talk to you or pursue you right now. And the relationship that God desires to have with every one of us is a relationship like a, a small child with a parent. Like those of you that have little ones, what happens when they fall and get hurt? Who do they run to? In our house, it's always mommy. But if, if mommy's not home, it's maybe reluctantly daddy because none of the other neighbors are home. So, but that's the relationship that he wants. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't want us to resist or run from him. He wants us to pursue him. Even if we're angry, even if we're frustrated, even if we're, we're, we're brokenhearted. In scripture, you have stories of Jacob who wrestled with God. David complained to God. Habakkuk and Job questioned God. And Abraham argued with God. And God revealed himself to each of them in a unique way because they pursued him. Vocalize what you're thinking, what you're feeling. Here's, here's what you got to understand is God knows your heart better than you know it. So it's no, it's no revelation to anyone when you tell him you're mad at him except you. He already knows. Pursue him. And then trust that he has a plan and is going to use it for good. Job 13, 15, Job said, even if you slay me, even if you kill me, I'm going to trust you. With my dying breath, I'll trust you. I don't know what you're experiencing this morning. I don't know what God is allowing into your life, but I want to encourage you that he is in control, that he knows what's happening. He hasn't forgotten about you. And he has a purpose and a plan for what you're going through. We may not see it now. We may not understand it now, but we can trust that somehow, some way, he's going to use what we're going through for good to bring honor, and to bring glory to him. I want you to bow your heads. And I want to pray this morning.
for those of you that are, you're in a, you're in a, a difficult season. Maybe you feel like Joseph. And it just seems like nothing happens unless it's, unless it's bad. And you're questioning whether or not he cares, whether or not he's there. Father, I pray for every life represented in here this morning. For every hurt, for every broken heart, for every damaged relationship. Anyone who's sick, experiencing a crisis. It's hard to trust you. We don't understand what's happening. <laughs> it's easy to say we trust when everything's good, but when difficult difficulty comes, you you haven't changed. You haven't ceased to be in control. And I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would speak hope, that you would speak comfort and peace. hearts of those that are here this morning that are they're, they're just hurting and they feel like you've abandoned them book of Acts it says that we think you're far away but you're right there you, you've never even moved you're right there when we look for you Right.